Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, should you wish to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I want to begin this hour answering some more of your questions. A lot of people want to chime in on the Trump indictment. I understand. Um, Before I get there, though, let me just review the state of play. So Alvin Bragg filed an indictment in New York City, and you will note that nobody talks about it. This is the dumbest indictment, and even Democrats are unhappy with Alvin Bragg about it. They realize just how poorly formed of a case it is. So Alvin Bragg is charging Donald Trump with violating state law by violating federal campaign finance law, but the federal government never charged Donald Trump with violating federal campaign finance law, and you can't legally charge someone in a state level for violating campaign finance laws. So essentially, he's charging Donald Trump with an ancillary state law tied to a campaign finance charge that he can't prove. It's a very bad case, and the Democrats know it's a bad case, which is why they don't talk about it. The second case is the Mar-a-Lago case, and it's the one that could put Trump in jail. It is a very substantive and serious case. Uh, And it's gotten more substantive and serious with a superseding indictment that claims Donald Trump tried to get surveillance footage at Mar-a-Lago deleted after getting a grand jury subpoena. That's bad. This case stems from a request from the National Archives to retrieve classified documents from Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump sent some documents to the National Archives and said, that's all we got. The National Archives wrote back and said, that is not all you have. You have more. And the Trump team said, no, we don't. Six months later, a grand jury was convened and a grand jury sent a subpoena to Mar-a-Lago and said, give us all your classified documents. Donald Trump's team sent 30 documents. During that time, Donald Trump uh, is alleged to have told others to hide the documents, even from his lawyers, and then tried to encourage one of his lawyers to destroy documents instead of giving them to the grand jury. And now we know one of the documents was a highly classified war plan for the invasion of Iran that he showed to people and told them, caught on audio tape, that this document was classified. He had never declassified it, and he really shouldn't be showing it to him. That is a very bad case for Donald Trump. It got worse with the revelation from the new indictment that after the grand jury subpoena, he tried to convince people at Mar-a-Lago to delete security footage uh, showing the entrance and exit of the room wherein the documents were held. That's a bad case for Trump. The third indictment is the one from yesterday, Jack Smith's indictment over January 6th. I don't think it's a strong case. It's a case. It's a winnable case for Jack Smith. It's certainly stronger than the Alvin Bragg case in New York, but it's not a strong case because it relies on showing Donald Trump's state of mind through circumstantial evidence and the statements of others conflicted with statements from Trump's own lawyers who told him that he did have a case for fraud in the election. It's a hard case for him to prove. We are waiting the fourth case. The fourth case is the Atlanta case, the Fulton County case in Georgia, that will we understand, we're not sure, but we understand it's going to be a racketeering case that essentially Donald Trump was 
engaged in an effort to overthrow the election in Georgia through nefarious means and engaged in similar practices in other states, much like the Jack Smith case. The difference between the Jack Smith case and the Georgia case is that Georgia has a pretty expansive RICO statute, racketeering and uh, influence. Um, oh, man, My after weeks of mentioning what RICO stands for, uh, my brain finally farted. Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. That's RICO. And Georgia's got a pretty expansive statute, and you can tie together the activities of Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and others and say they were engaged in shenanigans in Georgia, Arizona, uh, Florida, or not Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. They were doing so at the behest of Donald Trump, who was regularly apprised of their efforts. He knew those efforts were bad or should have known those efforts were bad, and he goes to jail. The Fulton County case, in my mind, is actually a little more serious than the Jack Smith case because the Jack Smith case is relying on untrodden legal ground, and the racketeering of the RICO case in Georgia would actually be on well-trotted legal ground. Now, there are rumors of a fifth grand jury, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but the rumor is that Jack Smith is conducting another grand jury investigation in Washington, D.C., wherein you take Donald Trump's false statements and say Donald Trump was making false statements to individuals in order to secure their money for his fundraising operation and essentially was lying to people to get their money. There are rumors that this grand jury is meeting, that this is an investigation, and we don't know whether it's true or not. Uh, that would actually be a somewhat serious case if Donald Trump was fundraising off the off the January 6th stuff and then funding that money to pay his legal bills instead of a campaign. That actually would be a case. I don't know whether it's happening or not. Um, but we've got four for sure. We've got the Alvin Bragg case, we got the Mar-a-Lago case, we got the one in D.C., and we're going to get the one in Fulton County. But I suspect Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell will be more targeted than that than um, Donald Trump. That's the state of play for the indictments. Now, the phone number is 877-973-7425. Happy to take your calls on this issue. I'm going to start with Pierce. Welcome to the show, Pierce. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Eric. Sure. I've been thinking, listening to you today and listening to, and of course, following all the indictments with Trump, I'm doing a little research. Um, you know, you've, we've talked, you've, you've been talking about how he's just bleeding his campaign funds for legal fees, and he's down to what, seven, I think you said million? Uh, yeah, seven, earlier, seven million, it, from 150 million to seven million. Right. And then DeSantis, I know that he's got around 18 million. It may be a little less now because the last numbers I have were from July 17th after the June reporting. But three point something million is simply for general election. But most of his donors are large donors, and they've pretty much maxed their donations for his campaign. Now, he's got super PAC. I understand that, but they can't coordinate with each other. Ha ha. Yeah. But the other, but second, but Trump has a high percentage of, of of small donors yes the one second in line on small donors is ramaswamy and, and the uh, he's a businessman ramaswamy he's not a yes mm-hmm. ramaswamy i'm sorry I, I got that wrong look i, I can't well, pronounce his first name so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but anyway ramaswamy is second to trump in small donors uh-huh which means there's an awful lot of people looking to him and not looking at DeSantis on, and, and the others between because they're career politicians. They're looking at him because he is independent. He would, he, he, he's, he's a smart businessman. Um, 
And I'm thinking Trump supporters, because Ramaswamy came out and said, if elected president, I will pardon him. I will give him full pardon on everything. That, was, that, that would sway that type of talk, I feel like, could maybe pull, start pulling some of these small donors to Trump, pull them over to Ramaswamy, and even some of the larger donors might start looking towards him and elevate him. He could turn out, in my opinion, of possibly becoming the dark horse in the Republican primary. He could. Uh, however, let me read you something. Okay. All right. Let me just read this to you. It was a dark day for democracy. The loser of the last election refused to concede the race, claimed the election was stolen, raised hundreds of millions of dollars from loyal supporters, and is considering running for executive office. Again, I'm referring, of course, to Donald Trump. Conservatives have their own victimhood complexes these days. We are, after all, a nation of victims now. All that differs is who we see as our oppressors. The worst victimhood narrative that afflicts modern conservatives is their budding belief that any election they lose must have been stolen. Instead of distinguishing ourselves as the party that strives for excellence and rejects the easy path of victimhood, narratives, we simply created our own. I voted for Trump in 2020. I had some policy disagreements with him. For example, I disapproved of his large-scale government spending. I disapproved of his tariff policies. But I voted for him anyway. Like millions of Americans, I hungered for the unapologetic pursuit of excellence in our nation. To me, that was something worth voting for. Donald Trump was, notwithstanding his shortcomings, the candidate who best embodied American greatness. He was unafraid to stand up for it. I respected that. While my candidate lost the election, I was dissatisfied, but I also felt a sense of peace. The election was done, and it was time to move on. No one likes a sore loser. That's one of the worst victimhood complexes of all. I was especially disappointed when I saw President Trump take a page from Stacey Abrams' playbook. His claims were just as weak as Abrams'. She claimed voter suppression. He claimed voter fraud. He filed scores of lawsuits over various claims of fraud, as was his right, but they came nowhere close to changing the outcome in a single state, let alone the several swing states whose results he needed. In many cases, judges the president himself had nominated ruled against him, a sign of health in our nation's institutions. Of the 62 lawsuits he and his supporters filed, he lost all but one, a minor victory in Pennsylvania. That is Vivek Ramaswamy writing at the end of 2022. Wow. Um who goes on to thoroughly condemn the president. Um, In fact, he writes in a call with Georgia's Secretary of State, the president implausibly claimed to have won every single state, something unprecedented in the nation's history, a sign his claims were grounded in fact. Um, our, Our institutions did hold in the end, but they should never have been tested the way Donald Trump tried to test them. Uh, Mike Pence, a man I have great respect for, decided it was his constitutional duty to resist the president's attempts to get him to overturn the election. That's all from a book Ramaswamy wrote just last year. Oh, wow. So I did not know that. I, You know, I didn't realize it either, but it, it came out today because he's out there saying uh, Donald Trump didn't cause January 6th. A year ago, he wrote a book saying Donald Trump did cause January 6th. So, yeah, I mean, that's, wow. that's the problem here is, is people are hearing Ramaswamy here now where literally last year he was condemning Donald Trump, saying he provoked uh, January 6th and all that. So I see what you're saying. It does make sense. But when the Trump supporters turn on Ramaswamy because of – He's now saying something that last year he said the exact opposite of and condemned Trump last yeah. year. That becomes the problem. Um, lots of cynics in politics these days. You got that right. <laughs> yeah. I, was, yeah. I really, you know, but I was really looking. Me, me and you have talked uh-huh. before. And you know I'm very strong Ron DeSantis supporter. But I'm, I'm worried about his 
I'm hoping in his redirection of his campaign, he'll get away <laughs> from wokeism and start yeah. building on the economy, start pushing the economy. And, the de- and the, you know, just you said it this afternoon, we are in a very precarious economic situation. Mm-hmm. And you said China might be our salvation, but China could also be oh, yeah. our damnation. The, yeah, <laughs> that's know? well said. I yeah, mean, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and I, I got to tell you, I'm looking at the DeSantis campaign. I'm like, can you guys give it a We know you're anti-woke. We get it. Move on to other stuff. And yes. everybody keeps saying it's him. It's not the campaign. I'm not willing to concede that at this point. But they got to focus on the economy. Please, just two weeks, talk absolutely. about the economy. Uh, ignore yes. Trump. Yes. Ignore the indictment. Talk about the economy. Uh, yeah. And how he's going to make it better. Yes. Amen. Pierce, and how I, he's better than Biden. Yes. I got to let you go there. Thank you very much for the phone call. Uh, good input. But yeah, that on Ramaswamy, that is from his book released last year uh, as he was preparing to consider running for president. So yeah, um, I don't know what Trump supporters are going to do with that one. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation, and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations, and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They could cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Welcome back. We've got some breaking news here. The former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, has just spoken about the indictment in Iowa. He's on the ground uh, there, this is happening right now. Spoken and written about it extensively. I, I have nothing to hide. By God's grace, uh, I believe we did our duty that day. Fulfilled the oath that I'd taken to the Constitution and to the American people. The Constitution is quite clear about the role of the Vice President in the counting of electoral vote. It essentially says the Vice President presides over a joint session of Congress where the electoral votes that are certified by the states shall be open and shall be counted. And irrespective of the indictment, I I want the American people to know that I had no right to overturn the election. And then on that day, President Trump asked me to put him over the Constitution, but I chose the Constitution, and I always will. And I I really do believe that uh, anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be President of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. I've been very forthright about this issue, and I'll continue to be. Now, with regard... 
to the substance of the indictment, I, I've been very clear. I had hoped it wouldn't come to this. I had, I had hoped that uh, uh, this issue That's the and the judgment by the, the way president's there. actions that day would be left to the American people. Uh, but now it's been brought uh, in a criminal indictment, and I, I can't assess whether or not the government has the evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt what they assert in the indictment, and the president's entitled to a presumption of innocence. But for my part, I want people to know that I had no right to overturn the election. Uh, and that uh, what the president maintained that day, and frankly has said over and over again over the last two and a half years, is completely false. And, it, and it's contrary to what our Constitution and the laws of this country provide. You know, I'm a student of American history. And the first time I heard in early December, somebody suggested, as vice president, I might be able to decide which votes to reject and which to accept. I knew that it was false. Our founders had just won a war against a king. And the last thing they would have done was vest unilateral authority in any one person to decide who would be the next president. I dismissed it out of hand. Sadly, the president was surrounded by a group of crackpot lawyers that kept telling him what his itching ears wanted to hear. And while I made my case to him of what I understood my oath to the Constitution to require uh, the president ultimately, ultimately, you know, continue to demand uh, that I choose him over the Constitution. So in this moment, irrespective of how this case plays out, I, I want the American people to know that I believe with all my heart, by God's grace, I did my duty that day. And as I stand for the Republican nomination for president, I want them to know, whatever it means to me, I'll always stand on the Constitution of the United States of America. Look, our that's Mike Pence. Uh, he's at a fairground in, he's actually in Indianapolis. I said I was fairground in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he used to be the governor, uh, commenting, uh, saying to the reporters there, sadly, the president was surrounded by a group of crackpot lawyers that kept telling him what his itching ears wanted to hear. The president ultimately continued to demand, I choose him over the Constitution. I chose the Constitution. Uh, Mike Pence, he's coming out more forcefully than any of the other Republicans other than Chris Christie, by the way. All the other Republicans saying this is political and, and even Pence saying, well, I, I don't know that the government can prove that this was a crime, but the president did demand that I choose him over the Constitution. Pence is going to be a witness, by the way. I mean, the, the government cites his statements to Donald Trump as, as Donald Trump should have known what he wanted to do was unconstitutional. The vice president and his lawyers uh, advising him as such. That, that makes Pence a witness against Donald Trump. Man, that's just a soap opera, isn't it? All right, more of your calls when we come back, 877-973-7425. And you all have got to hear the story. Democrats have started Photoshopping Joe Biden to make him look younger in photos as they see more and more polling that Americans are concerned about Joe Biden's age. You just can't make this stuff up. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to The Sensibles, and at bcs-kids.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. 
bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The full number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, happy to take your calls and questions. Uh, let us go to Eddie. You're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Hi there. Um, first, I want to congratulate you for being on the air during the Carathon when it went past a million dollars. Oh, well, thank you. I don't deserve yeah. the credit for it, but I'll take it. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It was an amazing weekend. Um, I'll make this quick, but I want to go back to Joe Biden when he was bragging about getting the special prosecutor fired that was going to look into him and, and Hunter. Yeah. Then you had Trump, who asked Zelensky to look into it, and he got impeached. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward to him being in office, Biden, and um, when the conflict started in Ukraine, uh, Egypt offered to give Ukraine five U.S. jets, and then we would give the five back to, to Egypt. And um, Biden slow-played it until it really escalated into a war. So what do you think about that? Look, I so let me step back and say I, I don't think the scandal is that Donald Trump was – indicted in Florida for the classified documents stuff. I think the scandal was that the Trump administration didn't indict Hillary Clinton. Uh, and and I say that because, yeah, I think that what we're seeing with the Hunter Biden and Joe Biden stuff, I mean, Hunter Biden's emails that are undisputed to be true showed he was giving kickbacks to his father and paying his father. And the media has done everything they possibly can to avoid having to acknowledge that fact. If Hunter Biden is guilty in this criminal enterprise, then his father financially benefited and should be investigated. And the Merrick Garland is not going to call a special prosecutor. He's not going to have anybody investigate Joe Biden on this. And the question is, if Donald Trump got reelected, would he do it? I mean, he dismissed the stuff on Hillary Clinton. And by the way, you can say you can make every excuse that it was Jeff Sessions. He was distracted. At the end of the day, the buck stops with Donald Trump. And he's the one who chose not to pursue Hillary Clinton after chanting lock her up for so long. Would he do it to Joe Biden? I don't know. I I think, however, that if Merrick Garland refuses to have a special prosecutor investigate Joe and Hunter Biden's business dealings, no Republican attorney general should ever again appoint a special prosecutor. None should ever appoint a special prosecutor. And it is the Garland precedent, the Garland precedent that you do not appoint a special prosecutor when the son of a president has criminal business dealings that implicate his father in text messages. You don't hire a special prosecutor. It's good for the GOP as well. It's something the GOP has to take seriously, that this administration, having refused to do anything to investigate Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, uh, the Republicans need to investigate Joe and Hunter Biden, uh, and they should do so aggressively. 
In fact, we should find out what Joe Biden was doing in the White House uh, as president now with Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's been there an awful lot. He's been glad-handing with a lot of people. We should find out what Hunter Biden's been doing. We should investigate the snot out of it. Uh, and, and when we get another Republican president, I think that should happen. Uh, the, the problem is, I, I now look, I'm willing to admit I could be wrong on this one. But it just looks to me right now that a, a vote for Trump is a vote for Biden's second term because he doesn't have any money left. I mean, it, it really is remarkable. I mean, listen, this you could, whether it's his fault or not. And I was about to say, I don't, I don't really attribute this as his fault given the indictments against him. But he went from $100-plus plus million to $7 million. That is a massive amount of money that has gone to pay lawyers. And it's, by the way, overwhelmingly gone to pay lawyers. And that money's got to come from somewhere to pay the lawyers. Chris Christie on the campaign trail is saying Trump needs to sell a golf course or a building in order to pay the lawyers as opposed to this. This is a perfectly legal thing for him to do, and his donors— want to help him. They do believe he is being persecuted. The problem is when you have a lot of independent voters, and and this is the thing everybody on both sides has to understand. The election in 2024 is not going to be won by Republicans or Democrats. The election is going to be won by Republicans or Democrats convincing independent voters to side with them. If you're Donald Trump and you have no money because it's all going to lawyers, how do you make the persuasive case to independent voters? They're, they're not listening to Fox News. They're not listening to the hardcore partisans on Twitter. They're listening to ABC, CBS, NBC. They're listening some to Fox. They're listening to CNN. They listen to me. How do you convince independent voters to, to back you, you can't run an ad campaign because you don't have any money. You can't barnstorm America because you don't have any money. He's going to be running a, a Joe Biden in the basement campaign for himself. I mean, he's going to be in his own basement running a campaign because he can't afford to travel with all the money going to the lawyers. And that's something that, that – that's just a practical reality of the campaign. You can say, well, they'll, they'll get his message, but they're not on Rumble they're not listening to uh, Tucker Carlson monologues on Twitter. They're listening to ABC, CBS, NBC, and they do their best to cover for Biden. And what's remarkable is Joe Biden has the has the popularity of uh, I mean he's he's less popular than herpes in this country, as I've said. And yet um, these independent voters who dislike him are getting their news from major mainstream news sources. They're not getting them from right wing media, and they still don't like him. But you got to give them a reason to vote for Trump, and that reason isn't going to come from those news networks. It's going to come from an ad campaign. It's going to come from a ground game. All of that stuff takes money that Trump doesn't have. And that is something he and his supporters are going to have to grapple with over the next few months. I, I, I know we're all Tammy Wynette. Everybody's going to stand by their man. But that only gets you so far if standing by your man costs him an election and gets elected somebody who's going to throw him in jail. All these other Republicans would pardon him. Biden, of course, wants him in jail. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Vince has been waiting patiently. Vince, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Eric. How are you, sir? Good. What's going on? I just wanted to make a couple of comments on some of the ironic double standards of the left in this country, and I'll leave you with that to go for. Um, but it just strikes me as odd at how 
the left wants to push trans women into women's sports, yet we don't have any trans women athletes in the WNBA and the U.S. ladies uh, soccer team. Um, second comment, it's funny how they refer to the truth as no longer being objective, but it's my truth or your truth. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I can both objectively say racism is bad, but they don't want to touch on the fact that to the racist, that's their truth. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, look you, 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 you come attacking them with their own logic, uh, and this is the problem when so much of their logic is just emotional. You know, it, that reminds me of a story I was going to talk about, Vince. This is a perfect segue into it to get away from the indictment stuff. Uh, NBC News would like you to know that race is immutable and not a social construct, and they have all sorts of experts say – if gender is a social construct, why is race not a social construct? They, and, and they're attacking the rise of people. Rachel Dolezal used to be an outlier, and she's not anymore. There's a growing number of people who believe themselves to be transracial. They identify as, and by the way, it, it, it tends to be white people identifying as other races. Rarely is it a a black person who wants to be white. It's a white person who wants to be black. Uh, And they're like, you can't do that. You you can't do that. Uh, Why can't you? Why why can't you do that um, if if you can with gender? Hmm? Um, this this is let's see this is from let me let me find the story here. I'm pulling it up. Yep this this is it. Um, that, uh, f- yep, NBC said, uh, used experts to say you can't do this inside the online world of people who think they can change their race. Practitioners of race change to another RCTA purport to be able to manifest physical changes in their appearance and even their genetics to truly become a different race. Practitioners of uh, uh, they do this for for race change to another. They develop uh, East Asian appearance, but experts underscore this is simply impossible to change your race. It's just belief, says Jamie Cohen, an assistant professor of cultural and media studies, not a biologist, not a biologist, a a, a professor of media studies. It doesn't ever really work because it's not doing anything. Just they have convinced themselves that it works. Because there's other people who've convinced themselves as well. Wait a second. Let's let's take this same quote and apply it to transgenderism. It doesn't really it it doesn't ever really work because it's not doing anything, but they have convinced themselves that it works because there's other people who have convinced themselves as well. This is actually really funny. Experts agree race is not genetic, but they contend that even though race is a cultural construct, it is impossible to change your race because of the systemic inequalities inherent to being born into a certain race. David Frund, a historian of race and politics and associate professor at the University of Maryland, College Park, corroborates the idea that a biological race does not exist. But we know today as race is a combination of inherited characteristics. Wait a second. Um, Inherited characteristics, isn't that biology? And cultural traditions. In addition, the modern concept of race is inseparable from the systemic 
racial hierarchy hundreds of years in the making. Simply put, changing races is not possible because biological races themselves are not real. So wait, you can't change race because it's not biology, so it's cultural, but uh, what? That is... <laughs> This is this is how screwed up the whole transgender debate has made things. So they they acknowledge that it is a race comes from inherited characteristics and then say it's not biological. This is a word salad to get around the fact that if gender is a social construct, race is a social construct. But they can't admit it. They don't want to admit it. Uh, the, the logical absurdities of progressives when it comes to this sort of stuff is kind of hilarious. Now, before I get – well, you know what? I, I'm going to go on and take time out because I want to I want to spend time on this story. Uh, here at the end, the Democrats have begun photoshopping pictures of Joe Biden to prove he's fit for a second term. Uh, my buddy John Hassan at uh, Town Hall has this story. It is hilarious to me. Democrats literally are photoshopping Joe Biden to make him appear younger, to dissuade people that he's um, – that to, to convince people he's fit for office. They're literally doing this. <laughs> there are days I wish I could read the group chats for you people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but I, I, I can't, can't, read, can't read the group chat with Charlie and Philip. but – do believe Charlie is going to have to find a new job now. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. We, I got to, I got to spend time here at the end on the story. This is just too great. Uh, this, John, is your last name Hassan or Hassan? Um, H a s s o n. As a growing number of Americans believe President Biden is too old for a second term in office, White House allies are employing a desperate strategy to convince voters that the president is fit enough to serve. They are photoshopping Joe Biden's pictures. The effort appears to be part of a months-long campaign to sway the 68% of voters who think Biden is too old for a second term. Since Biden launched his re-election campaign on April 25th, White House allies have shared the same four digitally altered photos of Biden repeatedly without acknowledging the photos have been edited. One edited video, a photo even retained its original Getty image watermark adding to its supposed authenticity. In each case, Democrat influencers contrast the images with unflattering pictures of Trump, arguing that the comparison proves Biden is not only fit for office, but also more fit than Donald Trump. Their posts have been amplified by A-list Democrats, including Malcolm Nance, John Cooper, former White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, who promised in his resignation letter he'd do whatever he could to help Biden's re-election campaign. The most widespread photo appeared on July 8th when Democratic strategist Chris Jackson tweeted a picture of Biden vacationing in Delaware contrasted with a picture of Trump golfing. In the picture, Biden's face appears tan, smooth, and features a confident smile. The caption reads, as I said before, if they want to make this campaign about fitness, game on. The image went viral. Retweets from prominent Democrats, including Klain, boosted Jackson's tweet to over a million views. But the image in Jackson's tweet is fake. Originally from Getty Images, or their Getty Pictures, the photograph has been altered to make Biden appear younger. The edits become abundantly clear when you compare the image's original Getty copy with Jackson's image. Yes, yeah, it completely changed the smile and, and added a suntan and all that. 
While Jackson's July 8th tweet featured the most drastic edits compared to the other photoshopped images, the other edited pictures all follow the same pattern. They add color to Biden's face, smooth his wrinkles, and exaggerate his smile or add a smile when one doesn't exist. In each case, the result is a version of Biden that seems more youthful and ruddy compared to the president's actual appearance. Here's a Getty original photo versus an edited version posted by Chris Jackson on April 28th. Here's an original image from a video posted by Josh Wingrove versus the edited version of uh, by Chris Jackson. A Getty original versus an edited version again. An original image from Susan Walsh. Chris Jackson appears to be doing this repeatedly. While most of the photograph pictures, Photoshop pictures originate from Jackson's account, his posts have apparently spurred Biden allies to repeatedly share the pictures of their own, offering them as proof that Biden is indeed fit. Uh, Anna Navarro has shared pictures, uh, these Photoshop pictures. Man, they really are concerned about Biden being too old, aren't they? That they got to they gotta Photoshop this stuff. That's, that, that's desperation on the Democrats' part. And by the way, this is the party that claims misinformation and disinformation is bad. The party that lectures all of us on misinformation and disinformation is circulating Photoshop pictures of Joe Biden designed to make him look younger than he is. This is their truth, though. I mean, who can argue with it? It's their truth. They, they, Their truth is that Joe Biden is a virile 40-year-old, and he's got a bunch of kids and six grandkids. That, that's that's their truth. Not, not seven grandkids. No, no, that's not their truth. Their truth is he only has six grandkids, but he has about 100 kids. I mean, Joe Biden, I mean, he squeezes the shoulder of a little girl and she gets pregnant. I mean, that, he's just a virile young man. This is this is the Democrats. By the way, have y'all seen the 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 meme? I've seen it on Instagram several times that someone says it's it looks like uh, Montana looks like Joe Biden um, uh, sniffing Idaho. And you know, when, no offense, Charlie. I mean, you're out of a job anyway, sir. But um, you Montana looks like Joe Biden sniffing Idaho. It really does. I mean, that's what Joe Biden does. He creeps in on the young girls and sniffs on their shoulder and behind there. It's really creepy stuff, y'all. Uh, this is this is what the old man does. And the old man is over 80 years old. He's too old to be president of the United States. And the Democrats know it. 69, 68% of Americans are concerned about his age. They're concerned about Trump's age, too. You know, Trump is no spring chicken. He'll be 80 years old. If he were to get reelected, he'd turn 80 in office, too. And look at what we're dealing with with Joe Biden. But Biden would be older. He's 81. He's going to be unfit. He's, he's almost a vegetable at this point. I mean, God bless you. I know some great 80-year-olds who have it together, but they've all slowed down. The stresses of the White House are too much for any of them, including Joe Biden. And when the Democrats have to Photoshop pictures of him to make him appear younger, you know they know it's true, but they can't push him aside. they got to leave it to Kamala Harris, put marbles on the White House steps and see if that may help him out of the office. I don't know. All right. We're out of here. Enough about this indictment stuff. Maybe there'll be real news tomorrow. See y'all then.